You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Take your Bibles and with me please to Ephesians chapter number 6. Again tonight, Ephesians chapter number 6. We're going to read verse 10 through the uh, entirety of verse 14 and just move on into this next piece of armor. I'm trying to work my way through it. Last week we talked about, the gir- or two weeks ago, the girdle of truth. It begins with truth. Everything else really depends on how we view the truth, if we hold to the truth, contend for the truth. The truth holds it all together. And that's what I preached on. You've got to tie it up tight with truth. Naturally, in this progression, it just makes sense that once we get a hold of the truth, that the fruit that should be produced from believing right or the truth will be the topic that we discuss tonight, and that is righteousness. And let's look here in verse number 10, and then we'll read down through verse number 14. Look at your Bible. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. That phrase is, I I could have preached, you can't just afford to pick and choose. Have a piece here and a piece there. We need all of it. The whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Tonight I want us to look at that phrase, having on the breastplate of righteousness. We talked about this last time when we were in the series before missions conference, how the soldier would have to purposely gird up his loins before he went out into battle. He'd have to consciously stop and adorn the armor. The same thing is true and carried with the thought here of having on the breastplate of righteousness. It's one thing to have the breastplate in your possession and another thing to let it possess you, if you will. It's one thing to have it laying there off to the side and another thing to make up your mind to put it on before you go into battle. You have to understand how important that piece of armor is. In fact, it might be the most important piece of armor because that's the piece that covers the heart It covers the torso, the vital parts of the body. And in a minute I'll discuss it. In fact, that piece of armor for the Roman would cover his shoulders, would cover his chest, cover his stomach, even cover his back. So it protected him in the shoulders with which he'd carry the heavy load and swing his sword. It'd cover his heart where his affections would lie, his stomach, where your appetites are birthed, your back in case you do have to flee. And sometimes I've heard preachers say there's no armor for the back, but I'm glad that there is. Because the truth of it is, sometimes we do run in battle, don't we? And I'm glad God even has us covered from behind if we need it. Tonight I want to preach on this thought. That piece of armor would be the piece of armor the enemy would focus in on. As he stood across the battlefield and gazed on that soldier, it'd be obvious to the enemy as it glistened and shimmered in the sunlight that that man across from him was ready for battle. It advertises his position. It's more than protection. It's also projection of a position. He kept it in front of him. For a little while tonight, I want to preach on this thought. Righteousness right out in front. 
righteousness right out in front. Let's pray. God, I pray for your help to preach. I pray for liberty to preach. Pray that you speak to my heart and our hearts tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading a commentary and a preacher said this, Sooner or later, every believer discovers that the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. And that he faces an enemy who is much stronger than he is apart from the Lord. I remember growing up that in the springtime and in the summertime we'd do something. It's probably illegal to do it here, but we could do it back home. In the springtime and in the summertime, the, the night air would be filled with the sound of croaking frogs. Have you ever heard that before? All the valleys and all the ponds and the creeks and things around our house, you just hear, we call them spring peepers and then different frogs that would croak. And we did something called frog gigging. You ever heard of frog gigging before? Very inhumane, but it's awesome. Anyway, we would go frog gigging and you'd go out there with the spotlight and this the woods would be filled with the sound of those frogs and I had one friend who would make his, his own recurve bows and he'd shoot them with a bow and arrow just different things but anyway we'd go out there and it's amazing how loud they would be until the light got near them once the light got close they quit croaking I thought about that with the amount of croaking we hear in our world today it tells us just how dark it really is we live in a day where the world is very divided. It's divided on so many different fronts, it's hard to remember exactly what we're supposed to be mad about today. There's so many different groups that advocate for whatever they believe in or they moan about how they feel like they've been wronged and they want you to know all about it. We have a Pledge of Allegiance that says we're one nation under God and that our nation is indivisible. But I'm afraid the glue that has held our nation together is cracking in just about every corner. You know the statement Ronald Reagan made that if we ever forget we're one nation under God, we'll be a nation gone under. And that's almost where we are today. Think about it. Today, everything has to be contested. I'm talking about from social norms to spiritual things. Every person has to have their cause. Every ethnic group or self-identifying segment wants their voice heard and their view accepted. You mentioned that crowd, those kids that come to school and they dress like an animal and want to use a litter box. Now, that's insane if you ask me. But uh, no matter how depraved or insane or inherently stupid their view is, we're supposed to accept it, tolerate it, and assimilate to it. There's a lot of division. The Bible says that two people cannot walk together unless they're in agreement. So I want to ask you the question, how much longer do you think our nation can move forward with the amount of division that we have today? I told the young people in college on Friday, everybody has to stand up for their power, their solar power and hydropower and wind power and white power and black power and girl power. The only place there is no power is California in the summertime in the evening. Say amen right there. And that's because they shut it off. Often I'll try to just be a silent spectator when it comes to these things. I don't go to parades and I don't go to rallies and I don't really protest or tweet about it. I just kind of watch it and kind of think about it. In fact, I think the best form of protest for you and I is to go to prayer meetings, amen, right there, or to attend Sunday school and show up for soul winning. But I do try to do my part in the pulpit and leave the rest to God. And here's what I think. The gospel is the thing that can make the glue hold this nation together. One thing I've noticed is this. Our nation is not only divided, but people are pretty vocal about their position. If you go soul winning in this area, it doesn't take long to find a yard or two filled with these virtue signaling signs telling you exactly where those people inside that house stand. For example, you see it, I saw it today, young liberal adult people are still out there wearing two to three masks everywhere they go. 
They're not doing that for health purposes. They are virtue signaling. They're putting their position, and just bear with me, they're putting their position out in front. I saw an interview today by the CEO of Disney, and he was addressing that many people think they're too woke or whatever, and he made the statement they're going to continue to cater to their audience and reflect the rich, diverse world of their viewers. He wasn't ashamed of that. He's putting his position out in front. I see t-shirts that advertise political affiliations, and by the way, it's on both sides of the aisle. I think some people don't own any clothing unless it's totally red or totally blue. Everywhere they go, they want you to know they're even either an elephant or a, a donkey, right? A donkey, that's the word I'm looking for. They put their position out in the front, from water bottles to bath towels, from dog sweaters to baby bibs, from the flag that flies over the city hall in the month of June to the giant stadium and every weirdo in between. I see the pride flag forced upon us. And here's what they're doing. Those businesses and those teams and those places are putting their position out in front. Here just recently Joe Biden asked for the endorsement and help in the primaries from a man who thinks he's now a woman. He started off as a man, then he became a gay man, now he's a confused individual who thinks he's a woman. And asked for that individual to support Democratic voters. If you needed a reason not to vote for a Democrat, there's a good one. But he said this, I feel very strongly that you should have every single right, including the use of your gender identity in bathrooms in the public. I don't think I can disagree with that anymore. Yeah. If a man tries to follow a lady into the bathroom here, they need to use a different bathroom, but it's called a handicapped bathroom. Say amen right there. Barack Obama said this in 2008. He said, if you want to have a coal-powered a coal powered industry or start a coal plant, he said, you can, but it will bankrupt you. Now, where I'm from is kind of cold country, Appalachia American. And by the way, every time you plug in your electric car or turn on the light or whatever, amen, to watch CNN, you better think a coal miner who dug coal, put it on a train and then a barge and then helped your light shine. But I remember him saying that. He said, you can have a coal power plant if you want to. It'll bankrupt you, though, if you do. He wasn't ashamed of that. He didn't care about the food he was taking out of the mouths of young people. Why? Because he believed that. He was proudly putting his position out in front of him. So I don't blame him for do it, doing it. That's what he believed. I saw a clip of a crime that was committed recently in Germany. There were these two uh, individuals, these two activists that went into a museum and they went up to a painting by Monet and this little, this haggardly looking millennial woman and this little fellow with a man, the dork knob thing. What is that thing called? Like the man bun on the top of his head. They went into this place with a, with a tub full of mashed potatoes. The biggest crime they committed, in my opinion, was wasting mashed potatoes because the painting was ugly. But they took the mashed potatoes and threw it up against the painting and then glued their hand to the wall. Now, you don't get much dumber than that. Uh, and I'm surprised they would kill the potato. I mean, they're environmentalists and everything, but they did. Uh, but they're putting their position out in the front. They weren't ashamed of it at all. Our governor did the same thing right after the overturning of Roe versus Wade. He did that. He had a press conference and addressed our state and even the nation. And it wasn't to try to help with drugs or homelessness or political corruption or the economy in our state. He took to the microphone to make his position known that he wanted our state to be a place where people from all over the nation could come and murder their baby. Our governor, in his words, said that he was going to propose new action to protect women from other states seeking abortion services. You don't get more depraved or deceiving than that. They know that that's a baby, whether they want to admit it or not. And now for his re-election campaign, I looked it up. He's got billboards in red states over on the East Coast advertising to come to California to kill your baby and using a Bible verse, love thy neighbor as thyself, to help promote his agenda. He's not blushing. He's not bashful. He's not apologetic because he really, sadly enough, believes in that. He's putting his position out in front. I'm just introducing the 
the message. Colin Kaepernick did that a few years ago. You know all about that when he played it for the 49ers. He would kneel for the national anthem. He was protesting what he thought was police brutality, and he would kneel or turn his back, and other athletes did the same thing. LeBron James did that for a while. Remember, he'd wear that T-shirt when he'd warm up, I can't breathe. He had to wear a T-shirt, I can't shoot. I mean, the Lakers have the worst three-point percentage in the entire NBA right now. But that was his position. He was putting it out in front. Our nation is supposed to be one nation indivisible, but it is endlessly divided. There's a lot of croaking going on from Black Lives Matter to neo-Nazis, from conservative to liberal, from the 99% to the 1%, from old people to young people, from pro-choice to pro-life. Everybody walks around and parades loud and proud where they stand, their position, and they keep what they believe proudly out in front. I heard a well-known football coach say that when a man comes to our school to play, he no longer plays for the name on the back of his jersey. Now we ought to fight for the name on the front of his jersey. He's saying your position is that which you wear out in front. On the same note tonight, I want to encourage us as believers to keep our position out in front. As unashamedly and as boldly as a bureaucrat or a bleeding heart activist, we had to wear our beliefs not behind us, but on our chest. This is no day for cowardly Christianity or a cowering church. It is no moment to hide our faith in the marketplace. It's no hour to hide our doctrine from the eyes of a divided nation. Our allegiance ought to be to our God, and you ought to wear it loud and proud and let the entire world know. So tonight, from the Word of God. I want to encourage our hearts in this hour of division to let your position be known. Don't wear it in the shadows, but let your light shine before men and keep righteousness out in front. At the workplace, at the play place, at the marketplace, at the home place, righteousness ought to be seen. In reading through the book of Acts and studying the culture of Ephesus, you see that Ephesus was a city with a high amount of satanic activity. Paul's ministry there was marked by instances where he was actually involved with, in combat with demonic power. No doubt that's why the Holy Spirit led Paul to pen this part of the book of Ephesians. These Christians are living around it. They're tormented by it, and daily they had to stand against it. Now, as you read from verse 10 into verse number 14, you'll see that we're called to stand. We have the promise of power to stand, and then we're told to put on armor by which we can stand. So it's evident. I was studying. It's evident from the verses no Christian can be victorious in spiritual warfare if you do not prepare for spiritual warfare. In verse 14, the Bible begins by telling us to gird up our loins with truth. Now, say it again, everything else rises and falls on our commitment and confidence in the truth. Without truth, we have no foundation. Now, following that belt of truth, Paul says to adorn yourself with the breastplate of righteousness. Now, look with me in verse 14. The Bible says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. A commentator I was reading said this, There can be no doubt that in this whole context, the apostle has in mind the great passage in Isaiah 59, where the prophet, in a figure of extreme boldness, describes the Lord as arming himself to deliver his his people. In that passage, the Lord puts on righteousness as a breastplate. That is to say, God 
in his manifestation of himself comes forth arrayed in the glittering armor of righteousness. So the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to refer back to Isaiah and the Lord who goes forth into battle arrayed in righteousness. And he's telling us that you and I as well can go into battle arrayed in our Lord and arrayed like our Lord wearing the breastplate of righteousness. You say, what is righteousness? It is rightness. What it means is goodness, uprightness, truthfulness, holiness, godliness. Righteousness is purely right in every sense of the word. It is light, it is sweet, it is powerful, it is satisfying. So the metaphor pictures the Christian going forth into battle with righteousness boldly displayed in front of him. The picture provided for us by the pen of Paul is that of a breastplate. Now, we didn't have a, any kind of Roman armor, so I've got some from the security guys. and it, it weighed, I was going to put it on, but I think it's too heavy. I'd pass out if I kept preaching with it. But here, here it is, a breastplate. Hey, you think about it. What does the breastplate do? The breastplate covers the most vital area of the body. The soldier can sustain a wound to the arm. He can take a wound to the leg, but he will not live if something pierces his heart. So that Roman soldier would cover his vital area from shoulder to his waistline in a breastplate. It protected his shoulders so he could swing his sword. It protected his heart where his affections, I said, would lie. It affected his torso the place of appetite. It guarded the most vital area of the soldier. I think I could say this. It is the most quintessential battle attire. It absorbs the fatal blow. The Roman breastplate was segmented metal, sometimes like chains woven together, sometimes like overlapping plates, but they totally covered the soldier like a coat of armor. When the enemy would look across the battlefield and see that soldier standing there, he would not have to wonder, is that a soldier? Is that a Roman soldier? Wonder who he fights for. When the enemy looked across the field, it'd be obvious as the sun glistened off of that armor. In its shine, it advertises his allegiance to his empire. There's no mistaking it, he's fighting for Rome. You see, it protected him, yes, but it also projected his loyalty. It gave him peace of mind, but it also sent a message to his adversary. That soldier with his breastplate on would have a confidence unlike the soldier without him. That soldier with the breastplate on would have a bravery unlike a soldier without him. He was worthless without him. A dead-hearted soldier might as well be a dead soldier. But if he put on that breastplate, he knew, I can take a shot or two. I can take a swing or two. I can withstand the onslaught of the enemy. Let me say, it'd be vital for that individual to not leave his breastplate in the bunker. He better take it with him onto the field of battle. Now tonight, when we talk about the subject of righteousness, we have to understand what righteousness is and which righteousness I am talking about. It is not righteousness alone that armors the Christian in warfare, but it is the right kind of righteousness that you and I have to have. The Pharisees had a perverted idea of righteousness. 
Therefore, they fell to the adversary. We're not talking about that kind of righteousness tonight. The Christian soldier is preparing for battle. He must gird himself in armor and put on a breastplate to cover his vital area, and he must get the right breastplate. You study your Bible, there's three breastplates you can choose from. Only one that will be effective. I can see it there off to the side. There's three breastplates. The first breastplate, kind of ugly, kind of stained, kind of soiled. We'll just call that Adam's breastplate. That's self-righteousness. That's righteousness that thinks I am good enough as it is. I don't need God. I can do it my own way. I can make my own path. I know what I'm doing. That's the righteousness of the flesh. And even as a Christian, you and I have got to be careful that we don't venture out of our home in the morning wrapped up in self-righteousness. Just because, just because you might not be what you used to be doesn't mean you are what you ought to be. And we all need something bigger than ourselves every single day. So there's Adam's breastplate. I don't want that one. But then there's another one, and I'd call that Moses's breastplate. That's the breastplate of the law. That is legal righteousness. There's a lot of folks that try to wrap themselves up in legal righteousness. It's a do, 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 or a try, 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 or a fix, 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 and they kind of feel like they're okay because they're doing this or not doing that, and they're not depending on the right breastplate. But then, thank God, there is a third breastplate that can stop the blow of the adversary. You see, I need better righteousness than self-righteousness, and I need better righteousness than just legal righteousness and I'm glad that there's a third breastplate that I can adorn. Paul taught us about that in Philippians 3 verse 8 and 9. Here's what it says. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from I've suffered the loss of all things and who count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Here's what I know. All of my righteousness is filthy, but thank God his righteousness is holy and pure. And the breastplate that the Christian wears in the battle is the breastplate not of my righteousness, not of legal righteousness, but of Christ's imputed righteousness. You see, he is righteous in every way. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his kingdom, his his judgment. He is altogether righteous. He's called the Lord of righteousness, the King of righteousness, and Jesus Christ the righteous. Romans 10 4 says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. 2 Corinthians says, for he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. Our God is righteous and righteousness. Now I'm going to make an application, so just hang on a minute. The hymn writer got it right when he said, Wisdom, righteousness, and power, holiness this very hour, my redemption full and free, he is all I need. What he means is I don't need my own righteousness because the best I have to offer so deeply stained with sin upon sin, it does me no good. I don't need the law's righteousness because if righteousness were of the law, the Bible said Christ is dead in vain. If I'm going to go venture on the field of spiritual warfare, I must stand before spiritual wickedness wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Romans 4, 3, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Think about it. I'm going to, this is a little doctrinal. As, as Christians, we don't stand before God in our own righteousness. 
So how can we think we can stand before the devil in our own righteousness? We've got to wrap ourselves in the only source of real righteousness, and that's the Lord. When you and I were saved, here's the word, I'll talk, imputation. When you and I were saved, we traded our record for his record. We traded our, that'll make a Baptist shout on Wednesday night. We, I'm forgiven, he said. We traded our rap sheet for his rap sheet. Our slate doesn't just have an erased page with a blank picture there, but now our slate has been erased and filled up with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've had righteousness imputed. You say, what does that mean? To attribute or to reckon or ascribe the act of one to another. What happened when I got saved was a grand transaction. What a great thing it was. When I got born again, Jesus took my sin and gave me all of him and now on my record thank God I don't stand before the Lord as a saved sinner I stand before the Lord as a son who has never sinned because of his righteousness his righteousness was put in you at salvation and it justifies you in the sight of God before salvation you and I were wrapped in Adam's righteousness there's many who are trying to get to heaven on their own and they're wrapped in the law's righteousness but when you placed your faith in Christ, just like Abraham, it was counted or imputed unto you for righteousness. And here's what you did. You took off the old coat and put on the new. You traded out one garment and put on another. And I'm going to make an application. The righteousness that we possess is not personal. It is a person. It is not something. It is someone. We're not talking about, in the primary sense, righteousness concerning your conduct. But in the primary sense, I'm talking about righteousness that totally concerns Christ. In one sense, Christianity is not spiritual Boy Scouts where you have to earn merit badges. Never be all right tonight. It is not some meritorial system where if I do this or don't do that, God, I'm more right with God than I, than I was at salvation. Positionally, I am as right with God as I can ever be because of imputed righteousness. Amen. Complete in thee. There's nothing else I can do to get any more right with God than I got right with God at salvation. Amen. I possess all of that righteousness right now, and I can stand before God justified. I'd, here's the thing. We have to watch out. You don't fall into this trap. You believed on Christ for salvation and then believe on self for justification. Everybody all right? Imputed righteousness armors me against eternal wrath, but now I'm going to apply this. But if it's doctrinally true that I possess all righteousness, then why am I told to put it on? This is where it gets practical. It makes no sense to have something and then somebody to tell me I need it if I already got it. Unless there's a reason. Paul uses that phrase put on a lot. Having on here, but same thing. Putting on, put on, having on. Put on charity. What do you mean? I already have charity. Wait, no, put it on purposely. Bowels of mercy, meekness, long-suffering. Put on the new man. But I already am a new man. Yeah, but put on the new man. Wait a minute. Why do I have to put on something I already have? What are we talking about right here? What do you mean? So if you study the phrase having on, here you mean, here's where it is. It's purposely putting it forward. What it denotes is a mindfulness of the position that leads to a practice. It carries with it the idea of thinking about the truth of our righteous standing to the point it moves from not just standing, but it impacts how I step through this world. The soldier has to consciously, he already has the breastplate. It was assigned to him when he got enlisted. But he has to be mindful of the fact I ought to put it on. 
Because it doesn't do him any good in combat to just be laying back. He has to adorn it. There's a difference here, and what we're talking about is positional righteousness in the sense that I am right with God because of my standing in the Lord, but it ought to blossom into practical righteousness. By that I mean positional righteousness is the seed from which conduct ought to blossom. Right? Everybody all right? Practical righteousness armors me against Satan's daily attacks. Positional righteousness arms me against eternity in hell. When the Christian soldier puts on the breastplate, he's mindfully picking up the banner of righteousness in Christ and then going out on the battlefield to make it known. That's why Ephesians 5, you can turn your Bible back there, Ephesians 5, verse 8 and 9, look with me what it says. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness, and truth. So the, bright, the brightness of that shimmering breastplate, just like on that Roman soldier, it's the same thing. Our light ought to shine forth because of the righteousness that lives within us so that this sin-darkened world can tell that we're on God's side. Amen. That'll be able to see Christ in you, the hope of glory. Righteousness is the source of our courage, the ground of our hope, and the insurance of our strength. So to adorn that breastplate is a decision not to just possess Christ, but allow Christ to also possess me. It acknowledges my position with compatible action. That's why 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says, Awake to righteousness. Matthew 5 is all about practical righteousness. Sermon on the Mount. It's kingdom conduct. How you're supposed to live in the millennial kingdom, really, is what it is. But it's a, it's a lesson in letting your life shine before men. Abraham, or rather, let me see, Adam's breastplate is, I think I'm good enough. Moses' breastplate. I'm trying to be good enough. But the Christian's breastplate is, Christ is all I need. Imputed righteousness gave me a new heart, but practical righteousness gives me a new life. In Christ, I am holy. But as a Christian, I'm called to be holy. So it's not the breastplate of carnality. It's not the breastplate of gossip. You do know that if you're wearing bitterness or gossip or envy or strife, then you're not wearing righteousness. I have the righteousness of Christ, but I must allow it to have me. That's why I said Job maintained his integrity. What is that? That's the breastplate of his positional, but no, practical righteousness. When the devil attacked his life, Job didn't take his breastplate off. He kept wearing it. He didn't curse God. He was faithful. It guards my shoulders so I can bear heavy loads. It guards my heart so my affections stay set above. It'll guard my stomach, if you will, so my appetites stay holy. It gives me confidence and bravery and boldness to stand. And it ought to advertise to the world, the flesh, and the devil. My allegiance is to the name I bear upon my chest. The Bible says righteousness exalteth a nation. That's James 2. James 2 talks about justification by works. You say, what are you talking about? Justified by faith in the eyes of God. Yes, but you're justified by works in the eyes of the world. Amen. So thank God positional righteousness justified me in God's eyes. But practical righteousness will justify my faith in the eyes of the world. They can't see faith, but they can see the fruit of faith. Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous before God, but it says they walked in the commandments of the Lord. The devil doesn't fear your song. He doesn't fear my sermon. He doesn't fear our standards. He fears the righteousness of God. I think about those frogs. I'll close. I think about those frogs. Man, they croaked. Until the light got close. A lot of croaking going on. So it just tells us it's dark. Romans, I forget where the chapter is, maybe three. I think it's in Romans. Put on the armor of light. 
Our armor is called the armor of light. What a contrast that would be to a sin-darkened world. I tell you what, silence some croakers, amen, some Christians that would out in front wear that breastplate of righteousness. But you've got to make your mind up. I'm going to put it on. Put it on. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.